Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port in here on 970 WDAY for the Rob Report. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Those are your call-in numbers. Tweet me at Rob Port or send me email. Talk at WDAY.com. Good afternoon, Atil. How are you? I am fabulous today. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I hear the weather over there is not so great. Well, no, the weather, the fact that I am still fabulous, despite how crummy this April weather has been, tells you something about how effective a CPAP is. It makes a big difference. Oh, my God. It can be life-changing. Yeah. No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, all right. I wasn't in yesterday, but I want to I want to jump in on a discussion. And by the way, Congressman Kevin Kramer going to join us later in the program for our a weekly open phone segment. Uh, if you have comments, questions, complaints, praise, whatever you want for him, uh, be ready for that. That's coming up at one thirty. Um, I want to jump into a discussion. Uh, obviously, we've had um, a trial ongoing up at Grand Forks uh, about a concerning a gentleman named James Patrick Whalen. Uh, he has admitted guilt uh, in having a sexual relationship with one of his students, uh, a female who was sixteen years old at the time. After he admitted guilt, the court was holding a sentencing hearing. And as a part of that sentencing hearing, his attorney, Robert Hoy, made the following remarks. He said, I agree that he is the adult and she is incapable of consent by statute, and he is at fault for that. The law does not say that she is incapable of facilitating it or encouraging it or asking for it. And his argument there is essentially that because because it was, I, I guess, a consensual relationship, and that does seem to be the facts of the case, that that is a mitigating factor in Mr. Whalen's sentencing. Now, using the term asking for it has outraged a lot of people. He is now being accused of slut-shaming. The Grand Forks Herald has an editorial calling the attorney out. Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, the Herald argues, I quote, using the phrase, quote, asking for it is a startling defense that sets back where we have come as a civilization. No victim in a sexual assault, and that is exactly what this is, according to the law, is ever asking for it. Now, I, I, I disagree. I think that the attorney, Robert Hoy, was doing his job, and I think what he said although I regret the inartful way he said it, is defensible. Because there are some things you have to keep in mind here. First of all, this was not an argument that Mr. Hoy was deploying in defense of Whalen's innocence. His guilt or innocence had already been adjudicated. He was guilty at this point. This is a sentencing hearing. He is no longer arguing his client's innocence. In fact, his client pled guilty, pleaded guilty, at this point, Mr. Hoy is now arguing sentencing. And when it comes to sentencing in the state of North Dakota, like a lot of other states, the law identifies factors which, and I'm quoting here from section 12.1-32-04 of the North Dakota Surgery Code, which, I quote, shall be accorded weight in making sentencing decisions. The fa among the factors that the law set sets out that shall be accord uh, accorded weight, not may be ac uh, accorded weight, but shall be, is 
whether the defendant, quote, acted under strong provocation. Another factor, according to the law, is, quote, whether the victim of the defendant's conduct induced or facilitated its commission. Now, the way a lot of people are reacting to this is they're saying, well, he's trying to say that she had it asking for it. She was asking for it. Therefore, he's innocent or something. And that's not it at all. The argument that the defense attorney is making, and you've got to remember, it is his job. It is the defense attorney's job to provide his, his, his client with a vigorous defense and in all ways be an advocate for his interests. And what the attorney is arguing in this instance is that the fact that it was a consensual relationship, although illegal, and by the way, the attorney says that in his statement. If we go back to what he said, the comment that has been cherry-picked out of his argument that everybody's getting outraised, outraged about, what he is saying is that his client is the adult and the victim is incapable of consent by statute, and he is at fault for that. That is what Hoy says about his own client. He is at fault for engaging in an illegal relationship with a minor who was his student. He is at fault for that. What he is saying is a mitigating factor for sentencing, not for innocence or guilt, but for sentencing, is the fact that the teacher was pursued by the student. Now, that is a consideration. You don't have to buy into that. You don't have to agree with that. But that is something they are saying. That when we're de determining what the punishment for this man's crime should be, that the fact that he was pursued by the student, the fact that this was a consensual relationship with the student, which we all know is illegal, which he has now pleaded guilty to, which he is now going to spend time in prison for, that a mitigating factor in the sentencing for that crime might be the fact that he's pursued. Think about it in another context, perhaps a context that isn't so fraught, because adults having sex with teenagers is a pretty gross topic. So let's think about it this way. Let's say... Let's say that I'm being charged with a crime for punching you in the nose. And I'm guilty of that because punching you in the nose is assault. During sentencing, I have admitted my guilt. I, I punched you in the nose. But during sentencing, my defense attorney brings up the fact that I was provoked. That you said something nasty about my wife, say and I punched you in the nose for it. That doesn't make me any less guilty of a crime. Punching you in the nose is still a crime. But it, when it comes to sentencing, the fact that I punched you in the nose after you insulted my wife might mean that I'm deserving of a lesser sentence than if I punched you in the nose just because. The law allows for that sort of nuance and argument. That's what Mr. Hoy was doing on Wayland's behalf, and saying that he's slut-shaming, attacking him for doing this, is wrong. He's a defense attorney, he's doing his job, and frankly, if you or I are ever committed as, of, of a crime, accused of a crime, we better hope we have somebody like Mr. Hoy on our side. Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Report 970 WDAY 701 We're talking about this uh, defense attorney, Robert Hoy, uh, for uh, 
now convicted uh, teacher James Patrick Whalen in Grand Forks, uh, convicted of having sex with a female student who was 16 years old at the time of the incident. Um, and his attorney, in, in, in pointing out during sentencing, not in a defense of his client's innocence, but during sentencing, pointed out that the student pursued the teacher. The defense attorney thought it was a mitigating factor. Indeed, North Dakota state law sets it out as a mitigating factor. And it's frustrating to me that the defense attorney is being attacked for this. Love to hear what you think. The other thing that drives me nuts about this situation, because here's the thing. If you think it's slut-shaming, if you think it's, it's some terrible thing that this defense attorney pointed this out, then why aren't people who shrug their shoulders when male students get abused by their female teachers, why aren't you outraged by that, right? Because that seems to be the attitude, right? Particularly when the female teacher tends to be physically attractive. So people kind of they kind of elbow each other, wink, wink, nod, nod, right? We, 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 we carry on like it was some fulfillment of this male student's fantasy. How is that any better than the defense attorney saying that that Wayland's victim was asking for it? And by the way, I don't like the way Robert Hoy phrased that, saying that the victim was asking for it. That's a terrible way to make that argument. That's a terrible way to phrase that argument. But the argument itself is not invalid. But this does reveal an, an, another problem, is that there is a double standard when it comes to these cases, and not just in public opinion. This double standard is visible in the outcomes from the criminal justice system. Susan Dersma, a former middle school teacher in Bismarck, was found guilty a couple years ago of having sex with one of her 15-year-old students. Her sentence, 60 days in jail. She doesn't have to register as a sex offender. James Patrick Whalen in Grand Forks got two years in jail, does have to register as a sex offender. Sarah Joy Wergler, a paraprofessional in the Fargo school system, pleaded guilty to showing nude pictures of herself to a 16-year-old student. She got 30 days in jail on a misdemeanor charge. She also doesn't have to register as a sex offender. Mandan school teacher Amanda Koloski pleaded guilty to having sex with a 17-year-old student. Her sentence, one year suspended, two years probation, doesn't have to register as a sex offender. That is a double standard. I don't care which way you say it. These are similar crimes. And, and granted, any given, any given case is different, right? There are mitigating factors. There are nuances at play. And our system should allow for those nuances. I'm not saying we need mandatory sentences or mandatory minimums. I think that is misguided policy. But when we have huge discrepancies and consequences... For substantially similar crimes, based on the gender of the perpetrator of the crime and or the gender of the victim, we've got a problem. And that is a real situation. And it is such a double standard that it's just fine for everybody to joke about a male student getting abused by his female teacher. And we can all, we can all sit around and say, oh, oh, it's, it's, it's hilarious. 
Oh, boy, that, that male student, he's sure getting what he wanted. What a fantasy. What a dream come true for that kid. That's okay to say that about a 16-year-old male. But a criminal defense attorney arguing during sentencing, pointing out that his client didn't engage in an unwilling relationship with the student as a mitigating factor in sentencing, that some, some, for some reason is a reason why the defense attorney is going to get pilloried. That is a double standard, and it's indefensible. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Got a caller, Cleo. What's up? Yes, I can see where Robert Hoy did what was right for a defense attorney. Right. The flip side of that is that a teacher is an adult. Yes, they should have the wherewithal of saying, "Sorry, this is inappropriate." You're right, and if I would point out comes on to them. I would point out that Mr. Hoy was not using this argument to de- to defend Wayland's his client's innocence. He was making this point as a mitigating factor in sentencing. At this point, his client is guilty. He's not saying, "Well, my client's innocent because the student wanted it." That's not the argument he's making. The argument he's making is that. The nature of the crime, this is the nature of the crime. That's the argument he's making. He is he is shining a light. He is talking about facts related to the nature of the crime that his client has admitted to. Yeah, that and is I, I agree with you that it's yeah. a point of law, and he's saying the law, which is what his job yeah, is when that's he, he is a defense is. attorney. Exactly, yeah. And now, And I'm not saying you have to agree with it. Right, we can all have different opinions about what the sentence should have been. I'm not sure that two years is enough for James Patrick Whalen. That's what he. Got. I think he got four years, two years suspended. I'm not so sure it should have been more, given the nature of the crime that he admitted to. I'm not so sure it should have been more. But yeah, that's beside. He should have the known point. better. He is an adult. You're right. You're right. A, a, a minor cannot cannot legally consent to sex with an adult. At least not an adult. There's it, it, if it's like. I think if it's like if, if the if the adult is below 22 and the kids of over 16, it's a different it's different. But generally speaking, the victim is not it, it doesn't make White Whalen innocent. It is worth bringing up for his sentencing, though. That's what his defense attorney did. And his defense attorney shouldn't be attacked for it. That's the point I'm making. Cleo, thanks for the call. Congressman Kevin Kramer coming up next. Open phone 701-293-9000, We'll be back on the Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report. 701-293-9000, waiting for Congressman Kevin Craver to call in. Till then, going to read some uh, emails about our previous topic uh, with uh, James Patrick Whalen and some controversy over comments his defense attorney said. Uh, excellent point, very well said, one emailer says. Uh, going to keep going here. Uh, Mitch says, uh, it is a documented fact that women spend 60% less time incarcerated for the same crimes that men commit. I can't vouch for that statistic. I don't know if that's true. I know in this one area, anecdotally, boy, it sure seems like women are getting off lighter than men when it comes to uh, teachers having sex with their students. 
And I don't know. I mean, I mean, that double standard in the public is obvious. I mean, every time it comes up in the media, social media is full of that. If it's a male student and a good-looking female teacher, social media is full of people. Oh, boy, that that student, boy, he sure had his fantasies fulfilled. Good. I mean, it's out there. I don't, I don't have to prove that to you. It's a real thing. That's something that's actually happening. Another email says, from Jill, says, a teenager and a 40-year-old, how old is the law you read? Shame on the lawyer. You creep me out. Well, I, I got to tell you what, Jill. The lawyer was not making the argument in favor of his client's innocence. That was not, a, that it was not an argument he made saying, my client is innocent because the student had a, was infatuated with him or had a crush on him or whatever. That, that is not the argument that the attorney was making. The argument that the attorney was making was during sentencing, and he was saying that it changes the nature of the crime. It is a nuance to be considered in sentencing, and the attorney was right to make the argument, agree with him or disagree with him, because it is the defense attorney's job to be an advocate for his client. That is his job. That is his constitutional responsibility to be an advocate for his client's interests and to give them a vigorous defense. Defense attorney doesn't deserve to be attacked for that. All right, let's switch gears. We've got Congressman Kevin Kramer on for our open phone segment. If you've got comments or questions, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Kevin, thanks for your time. Hey, thank you, Rob. I hear uh, some moving on the health care issue out there. In, in Kevin, I, I was even reading on Twitter we might have a, uh, a vote on Friday. Is that true? Well, What's going on? Well, it's, it's plausible. Um you know, throughout the break, there's been some negotiating going on between you know some of our members on on each end of the uh, spectrum, and you know, as I've always said, that the the wiggle room is so small because you know the 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 head of the needle is about all we have left to work with in terms of of changes that that might make a difference. And of course, the difference being attracting conservatives while not losing moderates, and attracting some moderates while not losing conservatives, and um, you know, from the base bill. And the, the thing that seems to be, the thing that surfaced is an amendment uh, that's written by Tom, a guy named Tom MacArthur, who's uh, on the moderate side, uh, was in the insurance industry for a long time. And, and you might recall that, uh, here, here's what's at play. So you might recall that, that one of the amendments that came from, from the Freedom Caucus, and I'm going to use it loosely, Rob, but the more conservative side, um, was a repeal of essential health Benefits. That is that. Those are the ten benefits that are actually in the law, um, and and they're they're the, they're the things like uh, maternity and whatnot that that many people don't want to have to pay for. And you can argue about whether you should have a menu or or not, and whether people should have choice, but of what they purchase. But but certainly in the individual market, that's been a problem because it's driven up the cost, and that's what that's what's killing Obamacare is the the collapse of the individual market. Well, so that repeal was a bit of a problem because um, it, it, there's all these issues with the Senate and the birdbath and and you know the Senate rule on reconciliation. I won't go into all that right now. But what Tom did was he and by the way that lost a whole bunch of moderates in the party. So he, his amendment restores those essential health benefits, but provides a state by state um, waiver. If states want a waiver from those, they can apply for the waiver. And then, um, but they have to demonstrate in their application that they will utilize a a um, 
you know, high risk pool or a risk sharing pool of some sort that provides coverage for, again, pre-existing conditions, because a lot of this comes back to pre-existing conditions and the promise to keep, um, you know, to not discriminate against pre-existing conditions. conditions. And so that that's a big part of of it. The other thing is this community rating issue, and community rating is what allows um, a one price for everybody in a, in a you know, community, so to speak, um, without discriminating against not just pre-existing conditions, but gender um, or even habits. In other words, a sm- you can't discriminate against a smoker uh, or reward somebody who's fit. And, you know, and then you have the age issue. You might remember that, that the, that was part of community rating where uh, in Obamacare, you could you could charge somebody uh, over 55 or over 60 uh, three times more, and you could charge um, somebody that's 28, um, and we changed that to five times. And at three times, it was a tax on youth, and at five times, it was viewed as a tax on the elderly. So we're tinkering around the edges of all that stuff and providing this application for a waiver, um, you know, seems to provide some wiggle room for, for people on all sides. Now, now we don't we haven't had a rush of people saying yes. I'm a, a yes, but there've been some fairly significant ones, like a Dave Bratt, for example. That's the he's a, he's a Freedom Caucus member who said, "Yep, this brings me to a yes." Um, uh, you know, moderates are still sort of reviewing it to see if it violates any of the you know principles that are important to them. Uh, so yeah, it could be it could be Friday. I think it's more likely next week. Got a caller, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, hey Kevin, how are you doing? Hey Jim. Hey, question, uh, this new, like, tax break that they're talking about, you know, corporate tax, stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, you know, going from 35% down to 15%. Then you mm-hmm. got Mr. President Donald Trump that's never released his tax returns, which will benefit him greatly. Is that any concern to you whatsoever, that he does not release his tax returns on, like, all other presidents? Or <laughs> in the yeah, it's, it's interesting, Jim. Thanks. I, I, personally, I, I wish he would release them. I've always thought he'd release them. it would certainly take a lot of pressure off him and a whole bunch of other people. His reasoning, as you know, has been this this ongoing audit. Um, personally, and I think Rob probably differs with me on this, personally, I've never found President's ta- tax returns all that interesting, other than see how much money they give to charity, I suppose. But but that said, the, the, rest, the other financial disclosures they fill out are far more um, comprehensive. But that said, I, yeah, I think I think it is a distraction that's unnecessary, and I, I do wish he'd release him. But that's again, that said, that's not a big deal to me personally. What is interesting, though, about his proposal going from 35% tax rate to 15%, which is obviously a major uh, drop in taxes, Donald Trump has taken a very different approach than than is the tradition in Congress. As you guys hear me talk all the time about pay fors and you know and, and scoring, CBO scoring, these are sort of swamp talk for how you balance one policy with another policy. If you're going to raise taxes a dollar, then you need to, you know, cut them somewhere else a dollar. Or if you're going to, if you're going to cut taxes a dollar, you need to cut spending a dollar. And that's a very linear way of looking at tax um, policy. I think Donald Trump takes more of a pro-growth policy with less concern for the deficit. And, um, and he didn't say it that way, but as I look at it, he's sort of willing to test the theory, the philosophy, that a pro-growth tax policy makes up for itself in growth of the economy and job creation, needing less government, and, by the way, generating more revenue um, by much more economic activity. And, and I think one of the bigger, the bigger arguments for that is, is uh, the global competitiveness. Our tax code on the corporate side is so non-competitive internationally as to be embarrassing. Um, 
So, but you're right. He, he, I suppose, if he, as a corporation, as a head of a corporation, his corporation would um, do better, paying less taxes. But they'd also hopefully build a lot more um, hotels and motels and restaurants or resorts that would uh, employ a lot more people and generate a lot more revenue. So at the end, he'd probably pay more in taxes, just not the, his higher rates. So I'm a big fan of lowering the rate, uh, everybody's rates, uh, frankly. But uh, this is an interesting approach for this town. I can tell you that. There's a lot of people sort of swallowing it and going, hmm, you know, how do we do this without a, quote, pay for? Uh, thanks for the call, Jim. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. You you said a moment ago that that he's he's looking at this more of a pro growth strategy with less concern for the deficit. Yeah. Uh, which I mean I mean listen I'm I'm for growing the economy. I think a good way to do that is keep taxes simple and low. But we have twenty trillion dollars in national right. debt. I mean, should right. we be concerned about the deficit? Yeah, I think you should be concerned about the deficit for sure. I mean, it, it's the the debt especially this. You know, the debt is a $20 trillion debt, and, and the deficit's, you know, about half a half a trillion a year. So, and it's that, but by the way, that's going to go up as we get more and more entitlement, unless we have some entitlement reform, which our Health Care Act would certainly um, help. But the, the question for me is, yes, you should be concerned about the debt, and you should be concerned about the deficit, but how do you account that for that projectively? In other words, if you're going to prospect that you're going to blow up the deficit by lowering tax rates because it's less money in and therefore, you know, therefore uh, less money to have, it, it doesn't it doesn't consider what a growing economy does for revenue to the government. And that's the thing that frustrates me. It's sort of like in North Dakota. When I was in North Dakota government, it always frustrated me that we had to have any time that anything that dealt with, uh, um, you know, the tax code or anything else, it had to have these, I forget what they called it, an income statement or a, um, but what, it's their form of scoring anywhere. And it was scoring. And it was static. It always bothered me that it never considered what would this policy do to grow the economy and what would that growing economy bring into the tax coffers and in the form of new revenue, um, and uh, and that's that's what I'm saying. I said, don't you need to be concerned about yeah. the, the the deficit, but we shouldn't just score it in a static fashion. Gotcha. I want to ask one final question. Mm-hmm. I, I, I caught on on Tucker Carlson's show the other day. Uh, Mike Rowe was on there, and I like Mike Rowe. He's I a love Mike big Rowe. Big proponent of, of, of blue collar rock. Yeah. He expressed some skepticism about President Trump's you know Buy America, High America plan. He said, and I thought this made a lot of sense, he said it's, mm-hmm. it seems like we're taking a shortcut. Like we're, instead of implementing the policies that will make companies want to hire, American, hire Americans and make Americans want to buy American products, we're just issuing an executive order and saying, let's make it so. That was his point. That made a lot of sense to me. I mean, isn't doesn't it make sense? And, and I guess maybe President Trump's tax reform plays into this, but doesn't it make sense to, to adjust the regulations and adjust the taxes and inspire people to buy American instead of saying, you must buy American? Well, the first thing we should should do is stop incenting people to not buy American. And, and one of the ways we do that is with our tax code. So I think it's, I think it's a dual track. For, for, the, for the president, for President Trump, I think in the short run, he is clearly using his bully pulpit. And yes, um, memos, memorandums, and, and, and some executive orders, putting an emphasis on hiring and buying American, but in the long run, if you're going to be involved in the global economy, you need to have policies that don't punish 
American-made products, and and uh, and we do that in lots of ways. But he's he's tackling both. I think Rob. I mean, on the regulatory side, the the, the, the Congressional Review Act bills that we've passed that he's signed into law, and, and the executive orders that are rolling back regulations that are stifling growth, you know, and, and investment and uh, whatnot in the United States are all going to have much longer-term benefits, and as will the the um, as well the tax code. So, uh, you know, one of the current examples, you've seen this thing with this fight we're having with Canada, and I, I hope it doesn't go too far, quite honestly. Uh, well, I, I don't mind tinkering on NAFTA and finding some um, more equities there. At the same time, you know, blowing the whole thing up, I think, would be somewhat problematic. But the, the soft lumber issue uh, is an interesting one because soft lumber is something that perhaps Canada does subsidize in in their federal government, and um, so you know to combat that he's recommending or putting a 20% tariff on anything that comes in the United States. Well, you know that's going to increase the cost of, of home building in the United States. But the bigger problem for me is not Canada subsidizing the soft lumber. It's that in the United States we've we've been basically been killing the lumber industry or the timber industry by shutting it down in all of our federal forests, which is the vast majority of our forests are federal forests. And instead of, instead of harvesting and replanting and managing our forests with good, sustainable, reasonable um, you know, development of them, we just watch them burn because you have all this dead timber laying all over the place in, in the yeah. mountains and it sparks forest fire. So in many, this is an example where we've disadvantaged ourselves. And so rather than changing that regulation, um, you know, we're going to punish Canada for, for doing what we could be doing. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully President Trump is striking a balance. It does seem he's going both ways. I mean, we're doing the regulatory thing, we're doing the tax thing, and we're doing the trade thing. So I guess maybe we're doing it all. Kevin, thanks for your time. As always, appreciate it. Talk to you next week. My pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Bye-bye. Congressman Kevin Kramer. We'll wrap the show up here. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report. 701-293-9000, Just a couple minutes left here. Um, let's, uh, you know, just, just wrap it up some of the thoughts about the, the whole slut-shaming thing. Uh, listen, I, I know it's not a fashionable, it's not a fashionable position these days in an era where we just passed Marzi's Law on the statewide ballot, you know, to give quote-unquote victims' rights um, even though that's undermining the rights of the accused. We have kangaroo courts happening in our campuses across the country where people are being denied basic rights like access to counsel. They're being accused of serious crimes, and they can't have a lawyer. They can't confront the accused. They can't confront the evidence against them. And a lot of that is because we have it's, it's this political movement that is exaggerating sexual assault, and it's it's... We seem to have, have lost an appreciation for the importance of process. And that's what the criminal justice system is. It is a process. It's not a perfect process. We are tweaking it all the time. We're tweaking it for hundreds of years through legal reform and everything else. Jurisprudence. And... and that process is intended to produce just outcomes. And I think sometimes we see it as a position where 
we want to reach certain outcomes, right? It's it's. I, I guess I give, I'm, I'm not explaining myself very well here. It frustrates me though that that we're treating sometimes victims as though everything that they say is gospel. We're not allowing any room for criminal defense folks to stand up and provide a rebuttal. I mean, it's it is a dangerous precedent to set to start attacking defense attorneys in the media for defending their clients. That is a dangerous precedent to to, to set. Trust me, if you're accused of a crime. You want a criminal justice lawyer, a criminal defense attorney who's going to be a bulldog for you. That's what you want. That's it for the Rob Report. Jay Thomas Show straight ahead. You can catch me Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. right here on 970 WDAY or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.